Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote-unquote summer body, as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. All right. Uh, here on the Business of Fitness podcast, I'm Molly Herford. I'm joined by Feisty Media's own Sarah Gross, host of the Women's Performance podcast, owner of Feisty, all things Feisty, really, um, and just general badass entrepreneur. But we're not talking just about entrepreneur life here. We're talking about your awesome Future of Fitness panel you did at the Endurance Exchange uh, Summit. Are we calling it a summit? What would we call it? Uh, down in I Texas. Think it, last I don't month. know. It was a conference, a summit. Unclear at this point, but we had about, there was about, so this is the annual, you know, the Federation, the like the U.S. Triathlon Federation Conference. So we, there was, in the past I've been there, there was six, six or 700 people there. This year we had 500 sort of post-COVID, probably 400 coaches and people, even like yourself who run a coaching business. Mm -hmm. um, and then other like hundred or so race directors. Um, so we were, yeah. So I hosted the panel about kind of like the future of the fitness industry more broadly. Like we were trying to look outside of triathlon and figure out where we can learn a few things or where, what general directions the fitness industry might be headed. Mm -hmm. Which is honestly why I really enjoy this podcast. You know, my, my other life is very much endurance sport. It's cycling, it's running, but I love the fitness industry as a whole. And I actually think endurance mm -hmm. sport can learn so much from some of these other areas of the fitness industry, not to say we're doing anything wrong in, in the endurance sport, but 
just from a like broadening out and, you know, hopefully bringing more people into endurance sport, I think we can really be picking up on a lot of the trends that are happening in the greater fitness space. Uh, So, you know, with the panel, one of the big things that kind of kicked off the conversation was the terrifying topic of, you know, are we in a recession and are we going to be okay at a recession? And I genuinely loved how positive everyone was on it. So yeah, what, what was your vibe? Yeah, I was kind of surprised, actually pleasantly surprised by how positive everyone responded. And in fact, had that experience of like going through of triathlon going through recession in previous, you know, in previous recessions. And it kind of like the vibe was like, oh, it ends up okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the points that like I just kind of I try to make briefly at the end of that conversation is that like sometimes this triathlon specifically has a very specific demographic that is in like a certain social class like it's definitely like middle class upper middle class that's who makes up triathletes right Mm -hmm. and so you know if there is a recession I'm still kind of unclear on whether we're in a recession or not (laughs) frankly but like if we I'm not an economist that's what all the panelists end up saying but like if if it if there is a recession it does get worse I think it does recession impacts people differently right so triathlon may just like land in that demographic that isn't as a affected so like while the panel was pretty positive about it I was also a little bit like grain of salt here because like this may not affect everyone equally mm-hmm. yeah for sure to me as I was thinking about it I'm actually sort of like I, I wish I'd gotten more into thinking more broadly about your clients especially you know we have a lot of coaches who listen to this we have a lot of people who are doing this as a side hustle and I do think there is something to be said for thinking about what your clients could potentially need in a recession you know Mm. if your normal client suddenly is sort of either looking for a new job or kind of a little bit strapped for cash that month a little bit thinner like what are some of the you know more cost-effective options we can offer as a coach? Is there like a lower tier that we can create that's less work for us, but could potentially reach people who are maybe actually struggling for, you know, with money, but still want to be training. So I think it's a great actually opportunity to be thinking about how to shift out of, of some of the stuff we've been in. I love that. I think I'm looking for opportunities too. Like I think about that with my own business, right? So like if people are less, are buying less, it's a great opportunity to um, build brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and even for like a smaller individual coaching company or something like that, it's like, what are the things that you specifically have to offer that another coach might not? Can you write a blog about that? Can you continue to build in some Instagram content around that or TikTok or whatever it is that you do? Like, so that when things start, go on the uptick again and people start spending money, like you are poised to be the person that they want to spend it on. So just like thinking a little bit more long-term. Yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think also I'm I'm glad we talked about the recession in that talk because I think it speaks to the fears that a lot of people are having right now where the the people who are coaching or have a side hustle or are thinking about going out on their own as coaches, they're a little scared of making that leap during a recession. I know for me, you know, I write for so many different outlets and I've personally had plenty of those moments of like, you know, I know I should say no to this you know, whatever article, because I don't have the time to really do it if I want to be working on my business. But it's hard to say no to money during a time when it's like, ah, we might be in a recession. Uh, But I think, you know, it it gave me a real like era or like vibe of hopefulness, I guess that like, no, it's still okay to be focusing on your thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and you should be still focusing on your thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand that like people, you know, if you like if someone loses their job, well, first of all, that might be an opportunity to to, start to focus on your side also, like you might have to, right? But I do understand that like those pressures are different for different people. So whatever's right for you, and there's always time later if you need to pick it up later or, you know, press pause on your business for a little while if something happens. But I think overall, there are a number of ways to like figure out a path through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other topic that came up uh, during the conversation was, AI, chat GPT, all of these things that, uh, you know, kind of strike fear into the hearts of coaches and content creators everywhere, right? We're we're nervous that AI is going to take over making the training plans for us or, you know, writing the blog posts, even writing the social media posts. But yeah, what did, uh, mm-hmm. what did everyone have to say about that? And what, what's your vibe? I, you know, I think everybody sort of had a different take on it because people were coming from different angles in terms of like having a lot of experience with that or not very much. Um, But I think, again, I tend to see like every change. I first see the opportunity, (laughs) then I see the downsides. While I I recognize that the audience, like you, you can't hear this on the audio file, but like the audience had a little bit of hesitation or even like bit of trepidation around like will AI take our jobs as coaches and will like you just said you know or will I start like writing our all of our content or take our marketing jobs or whatever um and I think I definitely think the same thing like I think there's an opportunity where like the cream rises right like if the blogs you are writing are no better than any of the other blogs on the internet that can be written by AI, like you need to learn to write a blog better. <laughs> but I'm assuming that, <laughs> that like people, I'm assuming that humans will have like the human touch in their blog. And therefore it's an opportunity to actually go, okay, like what might AI say on this? You know, if you put something into like, I've used, I've, I've tried using like chat GPT, like see what it spits out at me. And like, what might that, what does the AI say? And then like, what can I add to it? Right. right. You can very quickly find that out. It's the same with the training programs. Like, I think it's amazing if you can find out, like, if you can go, if you feed an AI, I don't even know what a coaching company, but if you feed an AI machine, all of the programs that have previously qualified someone for the Ironman World Championships, all of the training programs they followed, let's say you could do that. That's great. Like you can come out with this, you can come out with like a program or like a series of programs that might tell you, you might learn something, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're a good coach, of course, you need to have like that personal touch. Like the AI doesn't know the life of your client. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, from experience seeing my my husband's a cycling coach, I see what he has to do, you know, as he's building training plans for clients, they hate filling out intake forms. And honestly, half the time when they fill out the intake form, most of the information that he actually needs to build the plan isn't in the intake form. So he has to get on the phone with them and talk through what exactly it is that they need. So I think ultimately, like AI is not going to be able to build really custom training plans for people because people will still have to input things in order to make the the plan work for them. So I think there's definitely still going to be a human element. And even just the the phone consult side of things, I think people people don't like I personally, I cringe at the idea that a robot made my training plan or a robot wrote an article that I'm reading. For some reason, it just seems gross to read an article that a robot wrote, right? I don't yeah. So so I do think there is something to be said for like a human built this and like, we'll get on the phone with me and talk me through this like low point that I'm having in a way that 
a robot can't. I mean, you know, maybe maybe they will have a robot that can get on the phone with me at some point, but they don't right now. So yeah, and I, you know, what I did, you know, what I did, Molly. I put, I I tested Chat, chat GPT and I put write an article about Sarah Gross triathlete into <laughs> into it because I was like, okay, I want a subject matter that I like know in and out, like what mm-hmm, better mm-hmm. subject matter. And also one that there's like a little bit of stuff on the internet, but not like a ton, right? So it's like, okay, perfect case study. And then it spit me back this thing that was like utterly inaccurate. Like <laughs> it was like, if I didn't know, like if, if I didn't know me, I would be the, the the article that I would have put out based on what it gave me would have been completely false. Apparently, I'm a 70.3 world champion that won nice. in South Africa. Well like, done. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then apparently, I I've, I spend my life like trying to get people active, you know, like that's like my my big passion, which is like, you know, you can see there's like a there's like a seed of truth there, but I'm like, you missed the whole like focus on women's sports and education. Like that's, that's a big miss. <laughs> Actually shocking yeah. that it didn't catch that, to be honest. <laughs> right? See, I'm so, I'm so impressed that you were willing to do that because I'd be terrified that it would like really crawl the dark web and just have like all the mean comments that anyone has ever written about me that I've never seen. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. I, I might do this on your behalf then. And then like, let you know whether it's safe or not. <laughs> or do like takedown of Molly Herford and see how it goes. <laughs> okay. So we can laugh at chat GPT now. It's okay. We're, everything's going to be fine. So if you've been worried about AI, we're here to tell you that it's okay. And actually, I think you actually made the very good point of like, how can we use it as a tool instead of just being really stressed about it? And like, really concerned about how it's going to affect our business. Okay. Can we harness that? Can we, can we use it to build the base of a training plan and then customize the training plan for people? Could we use it to build the base of an article or, you know, social posts or whatever, and then, you know, tweak them to, to be better. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can kind of look at it from that lens, I think that's great. And I also think there's probably, this is probably the good call to action to be thinking about real life or like live is probably the the two other big things that AI is not going to be able to do. AI can't put together training camps in real life or run, you know, women's cycling groups or something. So it's also a little bit of how can you future-proof yourself to, you know, if you're stressed about AI, okay, cool. How can you take it offline then? Well, and I think it it puts the impetus on the, like the individual to um, innovate, right? Like if you come up with something and you connect the dots on something that hasn't previously been done, the AI is not going to find it. It's not there, no matter how big or small that thing is, right? So it gives us this chance to like correlate information very quickly and move forward with it. So I think I think it could be an amazing tool. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I think the the last thing we should probably talk about with future of fitness is the future of fitness more female? Like, are we, are we shifting to, you know, more women in this industry? And obviously running this podcast, I'm saying and you run a pricey, we're going to say hell yes, but yes, hell yes. And that like came out of, you know, um, Vic Brumfield, the CEO of USAT. She, that was an amazing moment when she was near the end, I think of, of, of what our audience is about to hear that where they, they talked, she's talking about when her period on stage during just like a regular, I don't know. It was like, the question was nothing to do with periods or women or anything. She just, it, 
it was like, she just free flowed that, you know, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I think I do really think if you think about how far in a way, like how far behind like women's pro sports are, how far behind we are in the sports science, you know, there's a lot, there's a big area of growth, like standing right in front of us. So people are starting to invest in it um, and focus on it, focus our attention on it. More people are watching women's sports. And so I'm, I am very excited about it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, even if you're getting nervous thinking about some of these layoffs we are seeing in like the fitness and the tech space, I think, you know, to me, that just seems like, okay, cool. There's, there's more spaces that are going to be open for women coming up in the next year or two. Mm. That's how I'm choosing to see that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's a great point. Like when you've seen, you know, I, we've seen it before with like the Tour de France Femmes starting, right? And like sponsors of pro men's team that cost so much more than just like, instead of when they can't afford the men's team anymore, well, who do you think they sponsor? The women's team, because it's still, it's still like a little bit cheaper, right? And so that could actually be meaningful for women's sports. And forget cheaper. I'm going to argue you get more bang for your buck right now. Like the, <laughs> right? the eyeballs, the like interest, the entertainment, you know, we tell a better story. Just that's, that's the hill I'm going to die on right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. As you should, as you should. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. Well, we should stop talking about all of this and get into this panel with these amazing people. Thank you so much for taking the time to record this intro with me. And, you know, we're kind of finishing out, um, our financial health February by talking about this, which I think, you know, to me, there couldn't be a better time to be talking about the future of fitness and sort of like thinking about, okay, how can we keep this, this rolling? How can we be asking for more? How can we be making more? How can we be, you know, pulling more together? And I think this is a great, great topic for it. So thank you so much for sharing this and excellent work at Endurance Exchange. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the chat. I always love chatting with you. Always great. Okay, here's the deal. You want to take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. So I'm going to introduce you to the moderator for this session. Um, She's not a stranger at all. But a funny story is when I first met her, it was for another USAT event on Zoom, and I literally broke out in song, 
You remember the song? <laughs> I do, I do. Because that's who I am. So I broke out in the song. You want me to do it here for the people? Sure. It, right. was, it was... <laughs> I was like, feisty. Feisty girls. You know Janet Jackson don't mean a thing. Hey. And she... <laughs> And she was like, huh? No, I love me some good Janet Jackson. I know. I mean. Because it, it was like weird. She was like, why would she break out in song? But that's how I like to do it. You know, I correlate a lot of things to music and it's awesome. And so I am going to leave you in some amazing hands. This is exciting. Miss Sarah Gross is going to be your moderator. Take it away, Sarah. Amazing. Thank you, Mishanda. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here for the last session. I notice a lot of you are seated by the door, like there's going to be some escapes for flights and stuff, but try to stay as long as you can because I'm actually really excited to hear what this amazing panel has to say about the future of fitness and what the trends are that we're seeing. I think the idea this morning, here, I'll just stand up for one sec. The idea this morning is that we wanted to kind of get our brains outside of triathlon and see if there are things in the fitness industry broadly, trends that we could learn from and in particular be inspired by um, as we leave here and go out back to our jobs as coaches and race directors and whatever we do in our industry uh, to take with us as seeds of inspiration. So that's what we're hoping. A little thing about me real quick and my company and then I'll do that quickly and then we'll get to the panel. Um, so I am Sarah and I was busy doing a PhD in women's history uh, when I became obsessed with this thing called triathlon. I think that's probably a story we can all relate to. Um, and I ended up being a pro athlete for 15 years. I was very lucky to be able to do that. And then when I retired, I still had the same, um, the same feeling I had when I was doing my PhD, essentially that I feel very strongly that women, 50% of the population, deserve to be 50% of everything in life and have access to everything. And so I continued on that journey and founded Feisty Media, uh, where we tell a lot of stories uh, about of women in sport, and we also educate a lot around women's health. Um, and for those of you who are in the room yesterday, who saw Celine's presentation? Woo! Yeah, wasn't she awesome? Yeah, so more conversations about menopause and periods and puberty and pregnancy and postpartum um, to come because I think it's such an important part of maintaining our active lifestyle and being healthy uh, as women. So that is me. Um, my company is Feisty Media and our goal is to build an empowering culture for active performance-minded women. Uh, and how do you build a culture? That sounds like a crazy, big, scary what are they called? Big hairy goals. Um, how do we do that? Essentially, we do it in several ways. A lot of it's to do with uh, creating media, podcasts, talking to people, having new conversations from different voices that we haven't heard before. Um, we do educational content. We're doing online courses. We have events, and we have a bunch of community programs as well. Um, we started in 2017 with... I think we had, the first time we did the Iron Women podcast, uh, it was just me, I did everything from the hosting to the interview and the editing, and 350 people listened to the podcast, and I thought, wow, that was cool. Um, and last year we had 1.2 million podcast downloads. Um, and just for reference, uh, 800,000 of those are from the menopause podcast that Celine does. That's hit play, not pause on the left there. Uh, so we really saw how much that community was needing um, information. Uh, yeah. So 
I don't want to talk about myself for much longer. And for anyone who came to see us in the booth, thanks for joining us. We created a female athlete guide. Uh, and what you, if you, I don't know if you can do the QR code from where you're sitting, but if anyone doesn't have it, you do this like five-step quiz about female physiology, and then we will send you the female athlete guide, which is designed for coaches and performance-minded women, just letting you know kind of the types of things that you might need to know about if you're coaching women through the life stages. Okay, so now we have our panel. Um, we have an amazing panel this morning, as I said. I'm going to ask you all to introduce yourselves uh, in a couple sentences, and then we'll get to the questions. So, Marty. Thanks. I'm Marty Munson. I'm the health director of Men's Health, with ba which basically means I put the health in Men's Health. I'm also a USAT Level 1 coach, and I write the um, mental performance column for USMS Swimmer magazine. I'm Jeremy Dirksen, and I think the most important thing that I was just thinking about while you were talking is back in 92, I started a mountain bike program where I was coaching mountain bikers at a summer camp. And that was really what started me off. And I remember like buying the mountain bikes for them and looking at all this technology, and I was just getting into mountain biking myself. And then today, however many years later that is, the changes that we've seen in technology and just being a part of that all along is incredible. But still, that coaching that I started with it's still like the same. Mm -hmm. But so anyway, so I, I've kind of gone through all that. I've been at Training Peaks for the last 15 years and I still try and do a little bit of every sport I possibly can today and read Meds Health. <laughs> Hi, I'm Victoria Brumfield and I'm the CEO of USA Triathlon. And I started working in the triathlon industry in 1999 and maybe four or five years later, I wanted to experience what it was like doing a race. And so I did my first race and was hooked not only in triathlon, but the different disciplines ever since then. And so now I'm able to combine my professional experience with my personal passion at USA Triathlon. Good morning, everyone. Um, first off, thank you so much. I'm excited to be part of this amazing panel, and congratulations on a successful endurance exchange. It's good to be back in, uh, in person. Um, so I'm Dan Cohen. I'm the Chief Performance Officer at Human Powered Health. Um, I've been an endurance athlete, uh, coach, and exercise physiologist for, for over 25 years, and uh, similar to what Jeremy just mentioned, I've seen a lot of changes in innovation and the use of data and science and technology-enabled services to really drive uh, potential. Um, but we also saw an opportunity to consolidate all the fragmentation that's, that's in this space into one seamless experience to really help uh, you all as coaches and athletes and race directors, etc., so that you can power your athlete's potential and, and help them achieve whatever goals they have. So uh, glad to be here. Cool. Yay. Um, all right. Well, thank you, panelists. We're going to go to our first question. Um, okay. I wanted to kind of address this. I don't, I'm, I suspect it's come up in other, in other sessions as well, but I just wanted to like talk about the elephant in the room. I think I've seen a little bit of fear with people around like, are we headed into this deep recession and what does that mean for our sport? and the future of our sport. So I wanted to ask you all, do you, are we in a recession? Um, and where have you seen the biggest impact? 
I'll, I'll go. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not an economist, um, so I'll, I'll defer whether or not we're technically in a recession to the, the leading experts uh, uh, in the country on, on that. But what I can say is I think over the last several years, we've all gone through a lot of, lot of changes, right? A lot of challenges. Um, and it, it's really incumbent upon us as athletes and coaches and, and other individuals to meet people where, where they're at. Um, you know, so if individuals are struggling, uh, whether it's financially or, or mentally or socially or what have you, um, it really is important for us to, uh, you know, meet people where they're at, uh, provide a lot of options, a lot of variety, so that um, everybody has a chance to really achieve whatever goals, whether that's an athletical or uh, a health goal. And so, um, so that's that's uh, my thoughts on, on on this question. So, I guess I'll go next. I too am not an economist, but I do watch CNBC, and this is probably the most talked about recession that nobody knows if we're in or not. Um, so I, I can't speak to that, but what I can say, and this is undisputed, is that we are in an inflationary time, and organizationally at USA Triathlon, we and it's we feel it. Right, We see our expenses rising and revenues, hopefully revenues rising as we come back through COVID stability and recovery, but the expenses are outpacing the revenue. And so that's something that we are highly sensitive to. And I do imagine that that has um, impacted probably everybody in this room, if not in your professional lives, in your personal lives, whether you're going to the grocery store or going to buy a pair of goggles, you're feeling the pain of increased costs. And so... When I look at the impact, the question will be, the demographic that we serve, is this impacting their willingness to pay and their willingness to compete and purchase product? And looking back, for those of you who went to the uh, SRI industry data session that we had at nine o'clock yesterday, all signs point to the same or increased spending in our industry. And so I think that is really hopeful. Uh, so the recession, I don't know. Uh, the inflation, yes. And, and the willingness to spend and participate seems to be in line with the increase in inflation. Um, and so I think that that's positive when it comes to our, our space. And I will say personally, I'm doing all I can to increase spending in the space. <laughs> You're doing your part. That's, I am doing my part. Can't put, uh, you can't put a price on your health, right? I think that's the bottom line. Mm. So I think people see that. That's true. I'm not an economist. <laughs> but I will say, we will probably look back and we will say this was a recession. And I would say for two reasons. One, you look globally. And as a canary in the coal mine, the UK, other parts of the world, whether it's impacting you know, from wars or it's impact from just the, the post effects of the pandemic, everything is changing. And it's not just the price of eggs. Another kind of canary in the coal mine would be technology. All these companies laying people off. That's just, yeah, sure, they overhired during the pandemic and now they're kind of right-sizing. But it's also their venture capitalists who are driving the ship saying, no, no, we need to get profitable. We need to find out quick what's the least amount we can do the most with. And I think that's just a sense of the, the kind of leading edge. So yes, I do think we'll look back and we'll say this was a recession. The optimistic point, I started at Training Peaks in 2007. We had a bit of a recession in 2008. 
right? I don't know that we were necessarily saying at that time, wow, we're in a recession. We were just saying like, why are people buying houses at you know, exorbitant prices and now they're defaulting on loans and wow, this is crazy. And now you look back and like, wow, that was a big financial crisis. And I think we'll probably look back at this time similarly. But the optimistic point is when I started at Training Peaks in 2007, we grew faster than they had grown in the previous 10 years. And we actually saw more growth over that next three-year period because people were being laid off. And what do you do when you're laid off? You have time off. You're not just looking for jobs, but you're also like, well, I got to look fit. I got to get strong. I got to get happy. Like, I got to get back to my roots. In college, I was happy because I was you know, racing track. How do I get back to that again? And you start looking for ways that you can improve yourself because you recognize that improving yourself is not only going to possibly get you a job, but it's also going to make you happier. That's going to make you a better person. It's just, it's a virtuous cycle, right? You find the dollars to pay for training. You find the dollars for the next bike. You find, the, like, you find those things because you can justify them because it's part of that rehabilitation of yourself, of your family, of your life, of your business. And I think as we all just get creative in recognizing where people are at, we can find solutions to help them through this time. And hopefully it's not a recession. So just to add to that, if you look back at the data in our industry, the signs pointed to this industry being somewhat recession-proof because the biggest booms in endurance sports were coming out of 2001 and 2008. And so I do think that that's aligned with the growth that you experienced at Training Peaks. Will that translate to the period of time that we're in? That's something that we'll see. And I do think we have to be vigilant and ahead of it and really cognizant of the potential impact um, and we ne- we need to be, you know, make sure that we're we're not spending unnecessarily and we're not over projecting on growth. However, that was the most aggressive growth in endurance sports beyond triathlon. You saw the same thing in running and in cycling. And so, I do think anecdotally, I would look back and say we are a more recession-proof industry than other industries in the fitness space. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to those great answers, but um, I do think that, uh, you know, there are two things happening. One is uh, people are still spending on products like Tonal and Mirror, which are definitely not inexpensive, but at the same time then other people are rediscovering the outdoors and the outdoors had been such a big boom. You know, trail running as we've talked about, gravel riding as we talked about, wild swimming as the Brits call it of, of, you know, outdoor swimming. And, and so I think there are things happening at all levels. And just as Dan said, you know, it's worth meeting people where they are on that. And I also think that it reminds me of a founding tenet of the current men's health um, brand, which is that change is an opportunity, not an obligation. And I think we have the opportunity to respond to this change right now in ways that aren't an obligation. Yeah, thank you. I'm just, as you're talking, I'm just thinking it sounds a lot like for the folks in the room, for the coaches, the race directors, that they may not feel the impact too much um, of this recession or a potential recession or whatever it is. Um, What I'm thinking of is potentially when we're looking at growth for the sport, that if we do have even a slight recession, people um, in lower socioeconomic classes might be affected more. So in terms of, and I know that's something that, that, you know, USAT... Um, spend some time on. Um, it might just be worth being mindful about 
that piece too, that those that some people might be struggling more than others. Um, and it might be a little bit more difficult to grow the sport into certain demographics at this time. I don't know. Now I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head. but And I'm not an economist either. <laughs> um, but thank you. It sounds like for the most part, it's um, nothing to be scared of from your perspectives. Um, okay, next up. Um, okay, what are the most exciting seeds you see being planted now in the fitness industry that will grow into the biggest innovations? Go ahead and start. Uh, Go I'm, I picked Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, as I, as I mentioned in my previous answer, uh, you know, I, we have to be able to meet individuals where they're at and you know, really seeing the, the advent of technology-enabled services, AI, machine learning, um, and, and those are really, really important so we can get this, this great objective scientific data. But at the same time, you need to be able to blend human interaction and, and that element in there to really drive behavior change. Um, in my mindset, it, it can't be one or the other, it needs to be both. And, you know, a perfect example, I would say, of the future of, of you know, fitness and endurance sports, et cetera, is uh, the ID match bike that we brought uh, to, the, to the endurance exchange, the big red bike that you probably saw at the expo. Um, it's AI driven, it has over 40,000 data points from cyclists across the globe and it's really designed to use more of a scientific, objective approach to helping individuals get in the optimal cycling position. But there's also that, that human element there that is so important um, because you can't just say, okay, well, here's what the machine says. You need to be able to be nimble and make adaptations. And, and that is what a human, a coach, a bike mechanic uh, does so, so I, I really think it's it's um, you know technology enabled services that are supplementing what we're all doing here as coaches and athletes um, to drive uh, meaningful behavior change, not just not just in athletic performance, but but health in general. Um, you know, you see you know digital therapeutics that are are in the marketplace now to really you know add another level of support for individuals that um, you know, don't want to go to a traditional brick and mortar facility to get physical therapy or to have rehab. Um, there's all kinds of things that are out there uh, to meet people where they're at on whatever journey they have. So. I'll take a different approach to it. I mean, obviously, the, the technology is incredible, especially at optimizing performance at the highest levels. And I did do that bike fit, and it was amazing. It was, it was incredible. So what, one thing that I think about at USA Triathlon, we are hyper-focused on making sure that we are increasing visibility to the sport around shorter distance racing and the accessibility of sport. And we talk about things like super sprints. So at multi-sport nationals, I did a super sprint triathlon and it took me something like 24, 25 minutes. Fastest person did it in 15, slowest person did it in 30. So it was super accessible and I use that as an opportunity to explain to people 
typically my Uber drivers, that they too can do a triathlon. And I now have something for them to assimilate it to. I say, look, it's a 30 minute Peloton class. It's a 15 minute walk on the treadmill and it's a you know 10 minute swim that you can breaststroke or doggy paddle just to get through it. And so what I love about that is we now have the products in in our economy that people have in their houses that they can now understand what it is that we're talking about where it used to be. Oh my God. I mean, it used to be that I did like step aerobics every day for like 10 years. That was ridiculous. But, but now before people would say, well, I don't have a bike or I don't go to a gym. I don't do spin classes. Those are intimidating. Now they understand how to think about the sport being accessible because they have these fitness products and resources available to them, or they know someone who has one. Now we could go down a rabbit hole talking about Peloton. Um, but I think that for me, that helps us tell the story more broadly about how accessible it is to come into the sport. And then if they choose to progress and have, you know, temperature probes sticked in their bodies or whatever it is, like that's a next step. Um, but I think that that's been really helpful in helping us grow the sport. I think similarity to what both Vic and Dan said is the holistic monitoring, understanding how we're operating as humans whether that's just like what races you're doing or whatever but just understanding how our bodies are working not necessarily with probes but potentially with like hydration stuff i mean nix is here that's interesting right like how can you actually track your hydration how can you um, understand your glucose monitoring when you're not a diabetic but you're you're still interested in like how can that information help you train better and so just understanding sleep readiness like all the things that we're starting to see these wearables or different devices, I'm responsible for our API. And we get probably five to 10 different requests a week from various device manufacturers or app makers who are creating some way to quantify our health. And everybody thinks it's the next best thing, and a few will be, but it's just that becomes so much more accessible to everybody that I think as we see seeds out there, it's not just in our industry where people are creating the next best thing. It's the big dogs, like the Googles, the Apples, the Amazon, they're all seeing health and fitness as a way to health. Governments are seeing health as a way to better economic success in their country. Health as, a, as an industry isn't so much an industry as just a way of life. And so when we bring it back to our industry and we look at those seeds out there of data collection, of focusing on health as a valuable part of, of our economic and our environment and our government, everything, those are seeds that we can capitalize on and pour the water on and make sure that they have the right, right fertilizer and that we can make sure that they're uh, uh, really taking root because it starts in the fitness space where we can be the leaders. But it's adopting, not being scared of those things. It's finding out how we can actually bring it in and, and make it work for athletes. You know, there was a, a, a quote then, and I don't remember who, who it's by, but it was actually about art. But I think you might as well just put triathlon in there. And it said, you know, art triathlon is like a car. You can sit in the driveway and take it apart, or you can get in it and go somewhere. And I think, you know, the, all this technology is letting us sit in the driveway and take it apart, but we can't forget about getting in it and going somewhere. You know, and, and sometimes I actually wonder with all these great things, you know, there's, you know, I, Inside Trekker, you know, I, I, 
it's it's so tempting to want to do an experiment of put Nix and Whoop and Garmin and and um, you know then do Inside Tracker and do you know track every single thing levels every single thing that you can track on you, and then I say to myself, oh, then what? Do you know what I mean? What do I do with this? And I think also. Um, it, so that's where coaches come in, you know what I mean? And so lucky us, the world is getting very fragmented. It reminds me a lot of medicine. You know, you go to your endocrinologist, you go to your, you know, uh, cardiologist, you go to whomever, and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know, am I healthy? Do you know? And, and nobody says, how do you feel? What do you want? What are you going for here? And I feel like um, we have an opportunity now. I know that there are some platforms who are looking to put all this together, which is really exciting. But I think right now we have to, it's worth, um, there are so many seeds we have to say, think about, and it's not gonna be the same for everybody, what do we want the garden to look like? You know, or what do we want the tree to be? You know, but my original answer to that question <laughs> was going to be the coolest seed I think I see right now is in mental health and that we're starting to talk about mental health, you know, um, uh, and I think men are really, really at a place also, you know, we see from Men's Health Magazine that we started a mind section about four years ago and it's, it, people really read it. We do a Instagram live every Friday about, which is called Friday Sessions with two psychiatrists and men tune in and ask questions and it's that's really exciting and there's even right now um, I'm aware that Lifetime is creating a, a, a some kind of class that involves mental performance and there's even a hit class hit and mindfulness so I think that is happening in the fitness space uh, and that's pretty exciting can I add one more thing to that? And I'm just listening to all of you and looking at Sarah and thinking, one of the things I love about the technology that we have is also, and I think it ties so much to all the amazing work that, that you and Feisty are doing, is it helps us connect our female physiology to performance. And this has been really exciting for me. I've been a coached athlete for more than 20 years. And I, I'm just a, an, your average, I love to participate in races. I'm not about getting faster. I'm just about keeping it part of how I operate. And I look back and I've had a lot of really bad races and I don't know why. And now I have my ring that like your Apple watch or other products tell you where you are in your cycle. And I, I haven't had a period in 20 years. And so I actually don't know. And so now because my ring connects to training peaks, my coach can look at my temperature, she can look at my sleep and she can say, actually, here's why I think your performance was off in your workout. And it has been a game changer for me. And it's interesting because I've heard a lot of people talking coming out of the sessions where they talked about female physiology and training. And there's some people saying like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable. And you know, it's, it's a hard conversation, especially as we look a lot of people in here who coach either you you're a man who coaches women, women, you're a woman who coaches women, you are a woman. It affects all of us understanding how to coach through these, um, these phases in our daily life that are impacted by our physiology that we've never connected the two before. And it's been a game changer for me. And the last part of that is sleep. I am so much more aware of the days that I am not my best self professionally or in my training life. And it is almost always directly connected to sleep 
or being hangry, but that's, that's different. But I think that the technology has allowed us to be much more aware of how to optimize our own lives, both in performance and in our daily life. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and add on to what everybody said. Um, so I've got a really good example of, uh, you know, in, when you're talking about female athletes and how you can leverage science and technology and, and expertise. So um, Human Powered Health sponsors a professional run team. And uh, one of the runners, um, seven months postpartum, wanted to get back into peak fitness. And she has her, her own coach who's amazing. He's a PhD exercise physiologist out of the University of Minnesota. And they came to us and said, you know, we, we really need to um, do a lot of assessments to really understand her unique physiology and what's going on inside so that she can get back to her peak fitness. So she came in, we put her through a battery of, of tests, um, and then we sat down, um, you know, provided actionable recommendations to both her and her coach. She came back. Um, retested again. Her numbers were markedly improved. Her confidence levels were up. And then she went off and ran a debut 242 marathon. But that's all because we are leveraging science and technology and expertise and pulling all the resources together to help. It's a team sport. It's not just athletes out there running um, it's, it's, uh, in order to really drive true performance and to make change, you need to bring all assets to bear. So, yeah, thanks Dan. I, I feel like my mo most exciting seed, thanks for bringing it up. Um, Vic, is that like, is, is exercise science in relation to female physiology? Cause we know that it was only 6% of the, of, of sports science studies actually pay attention to female specific physiology. And now, and when we first started Feisty or when I first started paying attention to this conversation, it was literally only Dr. Stacey Sims talking about this stuff. Like she was the first person to put up her hand and go, well, wait a second. Like if we don't look at how this affects women in this study, how do, how do we know that the outcomes of the study actually apply to women? And now, you know, when I'm, we have, I have the women's performance podcast and I can tell you there are dozens and dozens of young women pursuing PhDs in um, exercise science and sports science from a female physiology perspective. And I think that's going to bear a lot of fruit. Um, and, and, and to your points, like when we, we use the tech, we have the oral ring telling us when our cycle is, then we actually know what to do with that information as well. Um, so. Cool. Okay. Thanks, team. All right. Question three. Um, are there innovations or trends happening outside of triathlon and endurance sport that you think we should be aware of or pay attention to? Does anybody want to go first? Go ahead. Okay. It's out of, outside of triathlon. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Um, so I would say there's a huge amount of research right now in health span. Health span being the amount of healthy years you have. It's not lifespan. It's not trying to make your life longer. It's trying to make all of your years great until you're not around. And um, there's a huge, 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 huge amount of interest in that, money in it, F fancy people um, uh, studying it. You know, there's like this incredible molecular stuff about the mTOR pathway and the, you know, rapamycin and all this stuff. Yet, 
it is also very, very interesting that when these people get interviewed over and over and over again who are doing this incredible research, not to stop aging, but to stop the diseases of aging, thinking that if you can intercept the process, you can truly understand what creates those, then you can actually you know, have more healthy years. But, you know, they're studying these incredibly deep molecular pathways and, you know, the interviewer says, well, you know, so what should I do? And they're like, sleep and exercise. So in that way, we may still always be circling around to that, but I think the pay attention to part of that question then becomes how can we help our athletes facilitate those things? Who here has heard of chat GBT? Who here has used it? Has anybody used it to write their thesis paper for their PhD? Has anybody used it to write a training plan? All right. I was with somebody last night who put it all in, asked a bunch of questions, asked to put it in a calendar perspective, wrote out a full triathlon training plan. Wow. Terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. But, and when we ask about, like, what are the trends out there to be aware of? It's absolutely a trend, right? It's, and it's not academics. It's not just uh, triathlon coaches that need to be watching that because it is. It, it's there. And whether you're a teacher and you need to make sure that the paper was actually written by the student or you're uh, you know, going to your boss and you're like, yeah, here's this great proposal. And like, huh, did you come up with that? It's a trend. <clears throat> but I think there's also the potential when we think of, you know, not just being aware of it, but how to leverage it, right? All things can be bad or good. And we think you have to think about how do we, how could we use that sort of technology to become more efficient or better or smarter? You just learn how to ask the right questions. I mean, you go back however long ago, Google search uh, indexed the world of, of knowledge. And at first it was like, wow, how would I use that? And then all of a sudden, like, you know, GTS, like Google that. Like, how do we know? Well, let me look. <laughs> GTS? Yeah. You can look at it later when, you, when you've got Google on. Um, <laughs> but you want to go Google that, right? And now, maybe this is the next technology of how do you find new, new information? How do you create new information? How do you become an expert in something? That's something you got to be aware of. It's never going to replace the human, though. It's how do humans leverage technology? Same way Google. Google doesn't do everything for you. Google doesn't replace humans, unless you're a librarian, I guess. Maybe, but not, right? So how do you leverage the technology as a human to become better, faster, stronger, smarter? Yeah, I think the, the, the bigger question there is like, and for those who don't know what chat, GP, I don't even know the acronym. Chat GBT. GBT? Yeah. For those who haven't used chat GBT, essentially we potentially, and I'll get your feedback on this, looking at a future where we can take all the knowledge on a subject as it is on the internet, put it into some kind of AI machine and it will spit something out at us, right? Like, so we could be looking at a future where we are essentially editing whatever gets spit out from that. So I've seen like, like my daughter watches a lot of YouTube. I've, I've seen her YouTubers take a series of movies, like maybe Bruce Willis movies, and then put them into an AI machine and then spit out a new Bruce Willis movie, right? And then talk about that on the YouTube channel. And I think, so I think that's true that, that we are looking at a future potentially where we're putting everything we know about triathlon training into some kind of AI machine. And it gives you, like you just said, like it gives you a training program. So what do we do with that? 
Yeah. It's learning how to train the model essentially, right? So that it gives you something that's actually quality, but then still putting that editor lens on top of it to make sure it's not only quality, but it's also representational of what, who you are or what you're trying to do. And to answer your question, Vic, chat GBT, as you just did answer, but it's, it is this model. Microsoft uh, you know, led the investment of $20 billion, right? now $40 billion. I mean, this is like billions and billions and billions of dollars are going into this. And it's just this uh, open AI machine learning thing that's just indexing and adding data all the time. Yeah, I'd say as, as the saying goes, we're, we're drowning in information, but starve for knowledge. And, um, you know, we needed to be able to filter out what's legitimate, what is evidence-based, um, what is meaningful and impactful from everything else. And, and that's becoming more difficult as, you know, technology comes in because you get more individuals that are able to push out information, which is fantastic. But again, it has to be very, very uh, um, real data. I mean, algorithms are only as good as the data that gets put into them. And so, you know, that's really what we're focusing on at Human Powered Health is, is um, you know, being that, that uh, trusted partner where coaches and athletes can come to get really um, clean, reliable, uniformed data um, so that they can, you know, work on powering their potential and improving their health in general. So, um, yeah. Any other seeds to add before we move on? Or trends, rather? I'll, I'll add one. I think what you're doing is an amazing innovation in endurance sports. So outside of triathlon, like most recently, your new podcast at All Bodies on Bikes, talking about getting more people comfortable having conversations around the real challenges and hurdles for people who don't, um, who aren't comfortable getting a bike for the first time or for whatever, you know, based on their body type. And I think that, I do think that while we are not starved for information, I think there are conversations being facilitated in the endurance sports movement that is empowering sport. And if you can call that an innovation, I would applaud that. I just want to add one more thing on this. When, when you think about this chat GBT or any sort of shortcut, Humans want to find the quick and easy, but it rarely works. Kind of at the core of, of what we do is the concept of deliberate practice, which every single one of you is you know, very familiar with, whether in, in terminology or in actual practical application, but it's not easy. Like you set a goal, you, you do a little, you do a little more, but you do just the right amount of the right thing at the right time, and it's hard. Like You have to work through that process in order to achieve that goal. And I don't think it's any different. Like, quick and easy doesn't exist. It is always gonna take work. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Oh, okay, I'm getting the, is that, is that we, we're 40 minutes in? Awesome, thanks. Okay, question four, media. Let's talk about media, Marty. The way we consume media has been disrupted over the last decade or more. Um, where are people getting their information? How is that shifting? Well, I was reminded of uh, a session, uh, you know, Art of, uh, it was a USAT conference a long time ago when it had a different name. It was so long ago that I remember a panicked coach 
turning to me in the, one of the sessions and going, do you have a website? <laughs> so um, we've come a long way, certainly. I mean, you know, people used to read stuff. Now we're lucky they scroll. We're lucky if they look. You know what I mean? So we do know that there's the micro attention span. However, let me flip for a second to the same th to a different thing. I was so heartened by the data that suggested that people read articles in order to get information. And I thought, you know, we are a little bit different. You know what I mean? We're not just like celeb scrolling. We're actually looking for information that improves performance. It's not just like, oh, haha, what's the meme I can send to somebody? Although those are good too. Um, but, you know, articles are really, are, are interesting. And what it all comes back to is content. So we were talking a little bit about social media and what role that can play for you. And I think the danger is posting to post because, you know, you need frequency and presence and all that stuff. So don't just like post to post. You know, content is still king. If you offer someone something in a post, it's going to get you farther um, than if you just post something. Because I'll tell you, one of the things that I do a lot is I look around at everybody's website because I'm looking for somebody who's not just the usual people quoted because I know that everybody, so many people have so many good things to say, but I just have to find them. And I can't find them a lot of times because I'll be searching for a particular topic and I go to some coaches' website, I go to many coaches' websites and it's like we have a gold training plan, we have bronze training plan, we have a whatever training plan and everybody looks the same and I'm like, I don't know your thing. What's your thing? You know what I mean? Like, if I know your thing, I can come to you for your thing. You know what I mean? Are you the person who says, you know, um, uh, you know, my goal is to get everybody to, um, you know, swim less more often and then you improve? Or is my goal to have you do as few hours as possible? Or is my goal to have you build your fourth discipline of mental training? And, you know, so it's like really help them out. The other thing, too, is where it comes back to articles. I feel like, um, you know, I was, I was also having a conversation with somebody that people take what you do well. You know, I saw that people were looking for swim information. You know, so we see, we know two things. One, people read articles, and two, people want more information about swimming. Okay, if you have swim expertise, then look in the, in the, look in the flow of information. You know, check Google to see who's Googling what about what swim information isn't out there, and then provide that. You know, you're not going to want to go totally left. You still have to get in the stream, you know what I mean? But you can see what's being searched and see if you have something to add to that. And then people will find you. Because if you just publish random how to get started in triathlon things, you know, there are magazines who have already done that and that's useful. But what little piece of that can you add to the conversation? Also, the other piece is getting in the conversation. What is the conversation about today? What happened today? What was interesting? What does that remind you of about it? triathlon so I think content is key offer people something they didn't know and they'll ride along with you yeah don't be afraid to niche a little bit look at a niche yeah I would say um yeah I agree 100 percent with with that um you know it's really the way people are digesting information now it's not just google um it's you know the rise of influencers in in instagram where where coaches and other individuals can can you know provide really compelling, meaningful content and build, you know, a, a, a strong base. For example, a, a coach that we work with um, was a former CPA and, uh, 
and she just got really involved with endurance sports and, and passionate about it. And she's using Instagram as a way to push out really uh, meaningful content for, you know, up, upwards of 10,000 followers now she has. And she's got something called the Runner's Toolbox. Um, so I, I think the way people are, are, are digesting and seeking out information has, has changed dramatically and is going to continue to change. Um, but again, we, we need to be diligent as coaches and as athletes to make sure that it's the right information, it's evidence-based, it aligns with science, it's real, um, because that, that is the, one of the challenges I, I see with, you know, more ways to connect with people is fantastic. But we also have to be very cautious and diligent and make sure that it's, it's what really makes sense to help drive behavior change or performance. Curation. I would totally agree, Dan. I think as experts, whether you're a race director or a coach or an editor, like if you're not creating the content yourself, if you're not the expert, find the experts, but curate it so that you can be the expert conduit and the athletes that are participating in your events, the athletes who are being coached by you, anybody you're influencing, is looking to you to be that curator. curator. And you know, whether it is reading men's health, we expect like, okay, I know there, I'm gonna find something that's been curated, it's been edited, it's been written, it's quality, right? If I go to TikTok, what do I believe? <laughs> but there's so much good quality content there. We have a, a coach customer, JPG, who's got two and a half million followers on TikTok who functional fitness is his thing. And he does a great job, not only with the science behind it, not only with the instruction, but with building a following. And that is something that you don't have to go get two and a half million followers, but if you're trying to show, hey, here's some functional fitness routines, go check out JPG. Like, see, is he quality? Does he fit your style? Does he fit what you believe? And then, I mean, everybody should be on TikTok if you're not yet. But if it's Instagram, if it's Facebook, like find those places that you can refer to. Google, I mean, that's a great idea. Like Google search, Google search terms. What are people looking for? Ask your, survey your clients, survey your, your participants in your event. What are the things you're interested in? Find and curate those quality content, regardless of what platform they come through. Be that expert conduit. Awesome. Okay, I want to make sure we have time for questions. So let's do let's do our last uh, question for the panel really quickly. So if we could each just just say, starting with Dan down there, maybe um, one thing that we are excited about in one sentence. Go. <laughs> um, helping individuals really discover their unique physiology through um, you know science and, and technology. You wanted one sentence. That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Short course racing. Yes. <laughs> Augmented reality. Thanks. <laughs> Ooh, for me, I think it's about um, seeing the fitness industry, you know, the CrossFit gyms and the tonals and the everything as um, not as competitors, but as what, how we can bring what they're teaching people about strengthening their organism for life into, um, you know, because a, a finish line is really a starting line for so many people in this sport. And so how are we going to keep people healthy and engaged throughout their health span? Nice. 
Awesome. Mine would be around uh, women's physiology and learning to um, harness it for better performances for women. Uh, okay, so let's open this up for questions. Okay, here comes our helper with the mic. Oh, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. I wanted to just quickly thank USA Triathlon because I think this year you planted the most exciting future seed. When you uh, introduced the youth premier membership, where you're a member till you're age 18, you're going to get a magazine a couple times a year till you're 18. You're going to get some swag till you're 18. That, I think, is going to perpetuate it. An old wise man once said, the only link with immortality are the children you raise and educate to take after you. Well, as a physician, what I've learned is, is it's a triangle. And uh, if I treated a child for an injury and they did well, their parents suddenly are patients and their grandparents. So I think this concept is going to grow USA Triathlon a couple levels. So thank you all very much. Awesome. Thank you. Kind of going back to the, the recession question discussion, I know a lot of you on the stage and coaches behind me operate on a subscription model. So Feisty has programs that are subscription-based, magazines, training peaks. And now I think we're all drowning in subscriptions. And so people are really assessing what do I really need, what's important in my life, and now that there are those apps that tell you, hey, we'll, we'll get rid of all of your useless subscriptions for you, um, do you see that model changing? Um, or do you have any advice for coaches on any kind of pricing models that, uh, that support retention? I can start that one while you all think. I think, I think the cream rises, like with anything. Right. So when I see these, like when I see, I, there is a subscription purge, you know, we see it in our own business and I think it challenges us to be better. And I think for coaches too, like it's the same thing. Coaching in triathlon seems to me a little bit from the outside that it's, it's pretty saturated. And so I think continuing to be like the best educated to, um, like we were talking about social media to, um, make sure you know what you're about, what kind of clients you want, all of that stuff. I think it's going to become even more and more important as people as people purge subscriptions, potentially have a little bit of a recession happening, and as more coaches continue to enter that space. And this might be anecdotal, but when I think about the subscriptions that I retain versus those that I purge, it's where I have engagement. So when I have a consistent touch point with whatever that app or service is providing, those are the ones that I keep because they become integrated into my daily life versus those like, oh my God, the plant one of like how to like not kill plants. I haven't used in like eight months, right? So, and all the plants are dead because of it, but that's okay. So, but that's an example of one that I don't engage with consistently. And so what I would suggest, and this is something we think about at USA Triathlon Consistency, we don't have a subscription, but we have annual memberships that we have to make sure that we are delivering not just our perception of value, which is something pushed out, but where there's reciprocal engagement, because that connection, I believe, is what retains customers. And we all know it's a lot easier to retain than it is to acquire. There's nothing better than a subscription. I mean, I had, nobody's come up with a better business model of selling something. Because if you buy a one-time transaction, you're done. You have to go buy 
back and resell that same purchaser again and again and again. Like a subscription lifetime value is the compounding uh, monetary value to your business is irreplaceable. But you have to show the value, like you both said. Yeah, 100%. I, I don't think subscriptions are going away. But as coaches, you know, it's really, you're, you're building a longitudinal relationship. And if you look like big box gyms, um, you know, they're built on subscriptions and, and memberships. And they actually don't want you to come because it's that non-use model. Whereas, you know, professional coaches, you're building this long-term relationship. And as Jeremy and others said, you, you need to add value because you want them to come, right? You want them to, to be a part of your organization, to leverage your expertise so they can, you know, uh, continue to drive performance in, in their health. So I would, I would say if, if you can augment subscriptions with other pricing models that add stickiness in, in, in value, um, mix it up a little bit, uh, I think that that would be a, a good place to start. Good question. question here. So uh, what are the thoughts about current global and geopolitical uh, situations, not just here in the U.S., but also around the world, and how that may affect the fitness industry and the sport in general? <laughs> Anyone want to take that one? Brett? I'm not an economist. <laughs> I will say, so USA Triathlon, what we're talking about here in most of the sessions is about the grassroots U.S., sport. But we're also the national governing body for the sport in the United States that rolls up to the world governing body. And for those of you who heard from Gabriela Gallegos, who sits on our executive board of World Triathlon and our U.S. board of directors, um, she's very intimately involved in these conversations. Or for those who've connected with our high performance team, they're very intimately involved in conversations that go well beyond the sport of triathlon. How do we as um, global sport that is known for celebrating athletes across the world respond to, uh, for instance, the, the war in Russia, Ukraine? Do we allow those athletes to participate at the world level? And if so, do we allow them to participate underneath a... Um, underneath a flag. And so those are conversations that happen all the time. Um, I will say, though, that while it is a very important conversation to have to make sure that we are treating athletes fairly, but also respecting global rules that are in place around, um, for example, there's a rule, and I forgot what it's called, our, our board chair who's who's maybe in the room would know, but you're not allowed to wage war within certain amount of time of the Olympic and Paralympic Games. And so that was violated. So that would be one rule that the world federations and the, um, the IOC would hold Russia accountable to. While those are conversations that we are involved in, what we think about every day is just making sure that we're optimizing our performance within our country. Um, at the same time, one other thing that we think about as well is in the United States, we are a very well-resourced organization. And while, again, we all wish we had more resources to optimize performance and, and the sport even further, 
we have significantly more resources in so many countries. And we're actually part of what's called PATCO, which is essentially the North and South American and Caribbean countries. And their access to resources around paratriathlon development and support, or even elite triathlon development and support, is very limited relative to what we have. And so that's something that we talk about all the time is how do we take the knowledge, information, coaching expertise, and access to equipment and technology and use that to support and elevate the other countries within our ecosystem of North and South America and Caribbean to make sure that we're rising all tides. And I'll give one more example. I learned at the grand finals this past fall that in order to compete in the para games you must have a minimum of something like 30 countries with active participating athletes and we are right at that threshold so we as the united states must help other countries cultivate develop and retain para athletes at the elite level so that we have the opportunity to showcase our athletes on the global stage so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how we think about it on a daily basis when it comes to elite performance. We're here where a national governing body is putting this on. Thank you, Vic. That is our responsibility. I don't think there's any time in the history of the world where countries, geopolitical issues, wars, whatever is happening, come together in as great of an experience as the Olympics. It's a celebration of sport. And sure, there has been Olympics where it's been more of a Cold War fought out you know, on the, the basketball court or on the hockey rink or whatever. But it's a place where all these countries come together, regardless of what language you speak, regardless of your social economic uh, conditions, and they are on the same field. And that's a really exciting time where we think about Paris, then we think about LA, and then we think about the planning and the preparation towards those points and the part that we all play in that, not just supporting with our USAT memberships or with our uh, you know, coaching an elite athlete if you are privileged enough to do so, but with putting on the events that just build the excitement so that when the Olympics do come around, there's viewers, there's people coming together around the world. We have time for one more question. One more question. I have a question. There have been in this expo some amazing companies that are telling you all different ways to learn about your individual body and how it works and how it might enhance you, both your health and your performance to take part of their technology. And what I'm trying to figure out is some of it sounds, it's all very exciting and some of it sounds conflicting. And how does one figure out what is truly science-based and what is truly right for you, the individual, as to which both at the, in terms of your um, your age and your goals, but what are the right things for you to take advantage of in this world? Yeah, no, that's that's a very good question. And, you know, if you come to our, our facility in Minneapolis, you're going to see a lot of equipment there that, you know, most people haven't seen or utilized or have had access to. And we've done a lot of diligence to make sure that every piece of equipment and technology that we have there is evidence-based 
backed by science. And then it's all about sitting down with the, our performance physiologist, exercise physiologist, to do exactly what you said, to understand your goals, your limiters, your objectives, um, not just physical, but, but mental as well. And then from there, you, um, we together decide what is the best course of action. You go through the assessments, and then we sit down, and we provide deep analytics and insights and actionable recommendations specific to you, your body, your goals, et cetera. So, um, so I'd say to your point, there's a lot of technology, there's a lot of products, there's a lot of services out there. Um, uh, but really figuring out what works best is, is, can be challenging. So absolutely. So I think it's all about you know, making sure that everything's evidence-based and um, science-based and meets your needs um, to power your, your performance. Okay. So can we just, <laughs> um, I, just got the, I just got the big we're done sign. So could everybody just give a nice round of applause for these amazing humans here? Yay. Thank you all so much. Thank you, USAT, for hosting us. It's been a great week, I think, hasn't it? Um, and yeah, thank you all for being here and listening. Okay, thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Sarah Gross talking at Endurance Exchange about the future of fitness. I absolutely love this conversation. And I think the big takeaway for me was, you know, whether we're talking about the recession or the future of AI or, you know, any of these kind of scary topics that are coming up, I think to me, the, the big takeaway here is that we're always able to pivot. Uh, you know, it, it can seem like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't start this thing, or oh my gosh, I should shut down my coaching business and go back to my corporate nine to five or stay at my corporate nine to five and not think about starting my coaching business because AI and the recession and all of these things. But I think really, uh, you know, there's there's never been a better time to start than today if you haven't started yet, right? I mean, who knows where we're going to be in a year from now, but there's really no point in waiting to see how the recession potentially could shake out or how AI is going to change. I mean, the best we can do right now is just get going and really lean into what makes us great without stressing about how AI is going to come and change the, the nature of coaching. I mean, if you're a great coach, no AI bot is going to be able to beat you on the pool deck, on the running track, uh, you know, in the cycling group. So definitely, you know, lean into those strengths. So hopefully uh, this conversation allayed a bit of your fears, made you feel a little bit more confident about your future. And this one wraps up our financial health February month as well. So hopefully you got some really good financial takeaways from the last few episodes. Uh, we're going to be heading into, because I love alliteration, market yourself March uh, next week. So we're talking all about marketing for the next few weeks, whether you are a big business, a tiny business, a just starting out business, a well-established business, we're getting into all all of the things with some really smart people. So I'm very excited for what's coming next. All right, hit me up over at business.of.fitness podcast on Instagram, or I'm at Molly J. Herford, and we're over at feisty media and women's performance.com. So please find us wherever you, you want. Listen, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. It really means the world to us. Thanks so much. And we'll see you in Market Yourself March.